This is J.J. Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of Baseball America, and you're listening to the Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Don Evan, and with me is Roy. Hey, you've got the NPR voice today. I have. Well, I've been in a very quiet room all day. And um, you're forced to talk in this. You know, you ever, you ever, you ever go to spring training, and you know some of the organizational guys are standing around the, you know, the, the bleachers, and, and they have this voice where they can talk just about enough to hear each other, but not really. You can't pick up what they're saying unless you're right next to them. Well, and I'm deaf, so that yeah, absolutely, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. That's that voice, and it kills me to have to talk like this all day. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just this is not who I am. I am well, this loud. Okay, so you're talking this way because you've been down in the media room for a good chunk of the day. Yes. And down in there, it's like a library. And I think it's just you're being respectful because you know that somebody five rows over is writing an article and they're working hard. Yeah. And they're trying to think and focus. And, and we're kind of, you know, in a, in a way, we're kind of interlopers because they're all working, doing their jobs, and they do it well, and everyone's in there. And um, this, is, this is something that we don't do for a living. Um, we have passion about our podcast. We have passion about minor league baseball. We have passion about the Padres. Um, but this is not what we do for a living. And to be respectful, and obviously, I, you know, you act as if you know what you're doing. And a lot of times that, f- for me, is just not saying anything. And when I do say something, say it nice and quiet. Well, and so I think A.J. Preller has learned to use that voice all the time. <laughs> okay, so yesterday they had his press conference down in a like a side a side room to the main ballroom. Yeah, and he was the only thing in there, and so it was him and like twenty media people, and that was it. And so he speaks very quietly. I still had to lean in and listen. And the media people, when they were asking their questions, they're facing away from me, and it's even harder for me to listen. Yeah. But at least I could make it out. Today, it was on the second floor, and it was a shared room where there was somebody else doing their press conference 30 feet away. 30 feet away. And in this case, Dave Roberts sat down there, and of course, he's, he's a more gregarious, outspoken yeah. person. And there were a hell of a lot more people around Dave Roberts than there were with A.J. Preller. Right. And so as A.J.'s doing his thing, he's speaking real quietly. He's giving yeah. his answers, his thoughtful answers, and the media people are asking their questions, and they're also speaking in a hushed voice. Meanwhile, you got Dave Roberts over there, and he's telling stories making everybody <laughs> laugh and all of this. Kind of like the louder older brother. Yeah, it made me wish that there was a partition in between the two. It's like, hey, we're trying yeah. to <laughs> trying to take notes over here. Certainly, and you guys are going to hear that in the, in, in the audio later on in the, in the episode. First, I want to apologize for all the audio that you guys listened to yesterday. It was absolutely horrible. Um, I uh, I the machine I used uh, somehow got mixed up, and I didn't know how to fix it until today. And I didn't we're learning. Really, yeah, well, it's I didn't really process. know how to. Fi- well, I just. I fixed it. So you're going to hear this a lot better, a lot cleaner vo- video, uh, audio, sorry, with um, with AJ Preller, with Bowmel, with um, us right now. It's going to be a lot better, a lot clearer, and we're going to sound like we kind of know what we're doing. But we do have yesterday's audio from JJ Cooper. Yes. We're going to put that in today's episode. Yes. So that's probably still going to be a little bit tinny. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a little tinny. Yeah. But tons of good information from JJ. Absolute. The man, you know, it, it's funny. He he told us he was not going to give us his full opinion, but yet I still think he gave us his full opinion. Well, he was giving a balanced opinion, yeah. and he's so as a journalist, he's somebody that has to respect his sources. He needs you because I'm sure we were talking on the business side of things, right? And so he's talking to 
people that own multiple baseball, minor league baseball teams, but now that major league baseball is also a factor, he's, but he's the, the managing editor. editor. Yeah. And so they cover major league baseball as well. They have credentials with everybody. So he has to respect his access. Yeah. Um, but still, he was very forthcoming about things yeah. and very honest about the state of where minor league baseball has been and where it is now and, you know, kind of a little bit of insight into where he thinks things are going. It was a very interesting conversation. Hey, just like us, he was just amazed on how quickly uh, things progressed with the unionization of minor league baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think quick. that caught everybody by surprise. Yeah. I, I'm, I would like to know who thought it was going to go that smoothly. I wonder if, like, Garrett Brocious and those guys thought that that was going to go through like that. I'm not sure if anyone did. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, here we are, and it's a good thing that they did. So we have a little bit of news yesterday to catch up on that we didn't – we skipped over. We had so many things on our list that we kind of – um, Fred McGriff was elected to the Hall of Fame by yes, the Veterans Crime Committee. Dog. Yeah, so congratulations to the Crime Dog, former Padre. Yeah, and I didn't realize how many different teams he had played for over the years. He played for like six or seven different teams. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and talking to, you know, with all those home runs, you look at the home runs, you're like, oh, yeah, it's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Same amount of home runs as Lou Gehrig. Um, mm-hmm. But talking to talking to people, the, he, he was such a one-dimensional player, first baseman, um, hit home runs, but didn't do anything absolutely spectacular. He just did it for more of a longer period, I, I think. Right. And um, hence, that's why he wasn't voted into the Hall of Fame. Um, getting to the, you know, the, the what is it, it's the, the committee, the um, contemporary committee to, to vote him in. So that's players that are now in the game or that played with him. Um, in in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's an interesting little on. angle there, that they had the players' peers voting. So on a certain sense, it's kind of a popularity contest. I mean, it it is with the Baseball Writers right. Association as well. Right. Uh, I wonder if – so he bounced around to so many different teams. Obviously, he won a World Series with the Braves. Most people probably remember him as a Brave, but he split his career up among so many different teams – Rather than endearing himself to a fan base, a community, right. I wonder if that might have played in his favor a little bit more. Like I think of Mark Grace that had a long career, so many years with the Cubs. And then he went over to the Diamondbacks, but he became a Diamondbacks legend as well. Right. Where McGriff just kind of – he was a Padre for a few years. He was a Cub for a few years. He was a Brave for a few years. Didn't quite endear himself with a community like right. that. Well, and that's – it's interesting because it's, it's – it's interesting that that happens to some guys. Some guys just move around. Mm-hmm. Some guys just play for a couple of years. Um, the you know the team that he's playing for sees value in that, and they need more than one piece, uh, so they use him as trade bait. Or you know I don't know the whole career if he played out contracts and then signed with other teams, but bouncing around over like over several teams over several you know several years, it, it's you know. It's kind of what happens now. Well, he was part of the fire sale here in San Diego because yeah. it was the big four. It was going to be you know, Sheffield and Gwynn and McGriff and Tony Fernandez. And then they just blew it all up with Tom Werner. I hope he's – if he's still with us, I hope he's somewhere that's very hot <laughs> and uncomfortable. <laughs> or very cold. Hell, can be yeah. very, very cold. <laughs> um, so people that didn't make it, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens were on it, and they didn't even get enough votes to come back on yeah. the on the Veterans Committee yeah. ballot again. So that says something. To me, that says something both about their legacy and the things that they did uh, on the field as far as the, the steroid thing right. and what people think of that, but also some of their – how they were – 
how they treated their teammates and their the 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 media and all of this off the field. You, neither well, of those guys were known for making friends. Right. Well, I, I, and and Barry Bonds more so than than Kurt Schilling, and then obviously what you know, well, Clemens. Yeah, uh, Robert, uh, Roger Clemens. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Schilling's done all the crazy stuff after he got out of right, baseball. Right, but you would, you would think that you would think that that those guys would look through that, look look through you know how he was perceived and, and how he kind of talked to the media. These guys played with him; they know everything. You know, he they made chickens, you know they they made chickens for the fans because everyone would walk him. And then as soon as you threw something that he would hit, he would hit it out. Maybe that's a little more they inside baseball where they do know more mm-hmm. than obviously he he. Never failed the drug test. I think he was in the Mitchell report. Um, his head size grew, which is a uh, which is a byproduct of of uh, steroid use. Well, there was the whole Balco investigation, exactly. And there were people that went to prison. So enough and, smoke. Yeah, yeah, and he came through it all unscathed. But I mean, obviously, his reputation is was never the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Kurt Schilling was also on the ballot, and he. He didn't make it either, and we all know what he did with the government of the state of Rhode Island and the yeah. Nazi paraphernalia collection that he has that he's so proud of and the things that he says on, on his – I don't know. He had a radio show for a while, yeah. right? It, and it just – it was pretty pretty volatile what he was saying. I, I can't remember what it was. Very, very conservative, incredibly right-wing, and inflammatory. Um, one could almost say dickish. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of kind of verging on hate speech kind of stuff. And so that's where the character, character clause comes in. Um, you look at Kurt Schilling, and you can make an argument, is he or is he not a Hall of Famer? He's not. I mean, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are two of the best right. ever of what right. they did. Right. Where Schilling, you can, you can argue either side of it. And I guess that's where you kind of, when it's on the teeter-totter, then you look at the character clause, you go, no. Uh-uh. See, now, if you want to just, well, I'll wrap it up with this, is... I would vote for Barry Bonds before I would vote for Pete Rose. Okay. Um, you know, the funny thing is, Ioannis Cespedes was here over the weekend uh, looking for a job, and he just got busted. Yasiel Puig. Yeah, sorry, Yasiel Puig. Who yes. Are, yeah. Um, You're thinking of the Cespedes barbecue guys right. who we were just talking to downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yasiel Puig, you know, who just got you know, busted with, is it federal here, here in America? Or was that? Yeah. Different? Yeah. It was a U.S. investigation. It was some kind of a sting and all kinds of crazy sports gambling. So, so that, that the betting is really about the outcome of the game. If, if, you know, and I believe Barry Bonds used steroids. I, I believe he used some kind of performance enhancing um, uh, drug, but he, everyone did. A lot of people did back then. Right. So baseball wasn't regulating it. They weren't right. testing it at the time. Right. So I would, you know, at the end of the day, I would vote for um, Barry Bonds and I would Pete Rose. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Discuss, listeners. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so start us on the uh, the rumors, trades, signings, things that happened today. Well, well, Buster only reported that the Padres' bid for Trey Turner was somewhere in the three hundred and forty-one million year, uh, three hundred and forty-one million dollars in excess of that. Yeah, and that's more than he signed for with the Phillies. So obviously, he you know his fa- he's from Florida. His wife's from Florida. You know, the, he went home essentially. His, his wife's from New Jersey. New Jersey. I'm sorry. Yeah. So he essentially, with the Phillies. It was more about being closer to home and to his wife than making more money out here on the West Coast. I'm sure playing right. for the Dodgers for so long, um, as well as he did, you know, it, it's, it's strenuous. And, and some of these mm-hmm. guys, 
and power to them take less money because once you get that much money, it really doesn't. I mean, it, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. But the so the Florida connection, so the Phillies, their off season, their their spring training site is in Clearwater, Clearwater. How they say it back there. <laughs> Clear water. I can't say it the way they do because I'm not from Philly. Uh, but so he can spend the offseason in Florida, uh, get a home you know, where he's comfortable, he's used to. And that yeah. makes sense. If I was a Major League Baseball player and I had the option of spending my offseason near the West Coast, you know, training facility in Phoenix. Familiar with everything. You know, even right. if I wanted to live in San Diego, it's just an hour and a half plane flight or whatever. Not even that. So I, I get it. So apparently the, the math worked out. Somebody was looking at the taxes, the difference in like state taxes because California has these crazy incremental taxes once you get up there that it, it pretty much came out to be a wash, that the Padres offer was enough more that it roughly To cover matched. the taxes, right, yeah. right. So if the money was even, then it makes sense that he would choose to be to closer home. to home. To so then the word after that was, okay, somebody said now that the Padres didn't get Trey Turner – they're not interested in any other shortstops. Do you believe that? Yes and no. Like, do I think we're going to pursue Xander Bogarts? No, I, I, I really don't. What I want to know is what you know. So this is that's a significant amount of money. We've talked about this last night. Mm-hmm. It was like there's about twenty five million dollars before the second threshold of the uh, competitive balance of. Tax, in which I think it's in the eighty to sixty percent, like it's significant. So I don't know how they would finagle that without going over the second CBT. Well, they just showed us that there's three hundred and some million dollars in the coffer that's available to be spent for the right guy. Okay. And I don't. I mean, so in the press conference that you guys will hear later, uh, AJ Preller was asked about you know well positions and positions and where do you get people to play, and his answer was pretty much that athletes are athletes and they can play wherever. Right. That Tatis can play any position on any sport field. Tatis can or Kim can move around. Crone can move around. So you find a place for people to play. It's just you put the best athletes on the field. I think they're still going to talk to. Bogarts, Correa, whoever, um, and just get the most talented guy they can get that fits the budget and all that stuff. But whether that's him or, I mean, Aaron Judge is in play, right? Right, he is in play. It's possible. The circus was in town today. Scott Boris was here. Yeah, I I wasn't here to see that. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll post video of it a little little bit later. I felt almost kind of ghoulish just standing there because I just asked Jeff Passon if he'd come on the podcast. And (laughs) and I got the... the, um, the polite, I need to run that through ESPN, you know, just kind of that was his excuse, which is fine. That's that's great. But then I did that right in front of the Boris thing, and I took a little bit of video. I'll post it later on. But it's 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 a circus whenever he's here. And, and the, the little cliches that he say are just so corny and so gimmicky, and it's a bit. Like, we have a lot of bits on social media. It's a bit, and it's meant to raise up, I don't know, make him – more clever or whatever. Well, how long were we talking about hot talent lava and prestige value? Right? Right. But exactly. When it's it was, something that sticks with us. Right. And when it came to us, we're like, yeah, we have hot talent lava. But that lasted about five minutes so before we're we like. So now we know that the, the Red Sox are only so-so without X. X, right. Right? Right. That, there were some pretty good one-liners that he came up with. But I, I think the Padres are still going to talk to – they're talking to everybody. Yeah. And they're going to get whoever they can get. And I've, somebody was in my DMs telling me that they had their uncle's brother knows Judge's agent and thinks that he's going to come to San Diego. And it's like, how, who yeah. knows? But right. it's, it's possible. 
Could you imagine an outfield of Soto, Tatis, Judge? That's an insane – that could be a 30-war outfield. Yeah, that could be a 30-war outfield and a very, very expensive outfield. And I know it's not my money, but thinking of, like, signing Soto for a long-term deal, then if you sign Judge – Goodbye to Soto. Right. Um, what you'll hear AJ talk about in, in the presser is, like, they're going to add a bat. He said a bat. He was very flat on what position. Doesn't matter what position, a bat. Right. So look for a power bat coming to the Padres, uh, what that's going to look like in a trade. And I've heard him say be... corner a couple of times. Right. So whatever that corner, that could be left field, right field, first base. I, I think they're specifically looking for somebody to fill one of those spots. Yeah. But moving on, so – so speaking of corners, God, speaking of corners, Josh Bell signed with the Cleveland Indians for for two years with a third year, I believe, option. Yeah, so you know, give best wishes to him. It was a, it was a more expensive offer than I think what it was thirty something million dollars for the two years. Yep. More than I think the Padres were willing to pay, considering the production they got out of him last year. I, I you would hope that he's not that guy. He's not the guy that he was the second half in San Diego. He's yep. better than that. But how good is he? Is he worth Jose Abreu money? Right. I don't necessarily think so, and that's right. pretty much what he got. Right. And I, I almost asked that question too. Was it? Was it? You know, I was going to form it in a way. It was like, is that a little too? Was that above the ceiling that you were willing to to go with Josh? I'm sure I would have got the. You know, you, we don't talk about free agencies or signings like that. Right. But I wanted to ask that question. No, um, he's he's not candid at all about yeah. that stuff. They, he was not willing to speak about specific players. Not willing to talk dollar amounts. That was all off the table. Rightfully so, and we'll talk a little bit more about this a little bit later on, but Mitch Hanniger signed with the Giants. Three years, $43.5 million. We went to the draft um, the draft lottery, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool, and the Giants were up there. They moved up. I, they moved up in a couple of spots. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting process yeah. that everybody, every team has the certain amount of odds that they – a chance that they might get first place – and it, it was literally ping pong balls into a machine. They showed the thing on, on video, and they're pulling the balls out, and that's how they chose the, the order, I guess. I, I just I remember the old sound of <laughs> when they, they just rolled it, all the balls. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, N47, right. N47. <laughs> and then Tijon Walker signed a deal with the Phillies. Like, Phillies and, and Giants are really starting to put things together. I'm afraid – I fear the Giants. They um, – Farhad Zaidi – Mm-hmm. Um, is a really good, is a really smart guy, and well, they so, have a lot of money. Oh yeah, yeah, they do. And so they were they were targeting Hanniger, and apparently they've also Hanniger and Judge were their two targets this offseason. So now they've got Hanniger. Judge is still in play. Is he going to sign with the Yankees? Is he going to sign with the Giants? Is some dark horse going to f- swoop in and and yank him up? Who knows? Uh, but Taiwan Walker. He's been a very electric pitcher in the past. He's struggled with injuries. Uh, but the Phillies just lost um, uh, Zach Eflin. He was a free agent. He just signed with the Rays. So they had an opening in their rotation. Padres still have an opening, at least one opening in their rotation. Um, you know, and Preller, of course, is going to speak confidence into the AAA guys that may fill in that last spot on the, on the, the rotation. But there's, they're not going to go into the – to the the big league season with Jay Groom penciled in to be the fifth starter. Right. They're going to find at least one more guy. I'm hoping they find at least two or three more guys. Bob Melvin said you can never have enough pitching, and I was happy to hear him say that, and never enough starting pitching. And yeah. Because last year they went into it and they had like seven, eight guys that were candidates for that spot. And I think it did really well for the team to have the sixth 
man rotation because those guys were going five and five or more innings, giving the bullpen plenty of rest. And then once the season got deeper and, you know, we were going to the playoffs, the bullpen really, really lit up. Yeah, and Melvin has said that once they got into that rhythm, they enjoyed having that yeah. extra day of, of break. It worked well for everybody. So I could see them doing that again this year. Especially Somehow. with somebody like Nick Martinez, who's kind of a Swiss Army knife. You, you want to keep him in the rotation, but if he if somebody has to fall back into that swingman role, yeah, I'd like to see them find a couple more guys that can that can kind of do a little bit of that. Yeah. So, are they going to use what's left to sign out of the free agent market? And so, how do they do? They do they go after one big guy? Do they go after like two or three mid range people? Are they going to spend the money, or are they going to hold on to it for next year? They have to sign a bat. They, they they need a bat and another pitcher. And mm-hmm. you'll hear it again. Well, a little uh, a, a preterism is uh, once again. You know, I, again, I need a, we need a bat and they need a pitcher. Right. Um, are they going to spend it wisely? I don't know. I don't know what wisely looks like. I think I have an itching feeling, and I know I said it two minutes ago that they weren't going to sign Bogus, but I feel like we're going to go like there it goes. Preller's going to preller, and. The fan base is going to go, well, why do we even worry? Because the guy knows what he's doing. And he's just going to pull a rabbit out of a hat again. And we're going to go, yep, that's our GM. And I'm going to be wearing that in Preller We Trust shirt again. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems so close to it right now at the winter meetings that other teams are getting better. And guys are falling off the board that are free agents that you wanted to get. Well, let's let's think back a few years. In 2013, we came here, and the Padres did pretty much nothing at the winter meetings. 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, and so there were no major signings. I don't recall any trades happening while the winter meetings were going on, at least with the Padres. Uh, but then not too long after, Preller went out and got you Darvish, and then he went and he got Blake Snell, and he got Joe Musgrove. And those three trades all happened in fairly quick succession, but it was well after the winter meetings were over. Right. Somebody asked at the press conference about, you. do you feel pressure to get a deal done now with all these other teams making these moves? And the answer was pretty much no. Like, we'll get it done, whether it happens this week or whether it happens a month and a half from now. You know, yeah. It'll happen when it happens. Yeah, I think he's just as focused a week from now than he is here at the winter meetings but here at the winter meetings, you are solely focused on making those phone calls and trying to do something. But really, the winter meetings, for the most part, are just how are deals going to look. What are they going to look like? What are teams thinking about in trades? You know, who will they take? Where the value is on guys? Kind of the, the nuts and bolts, the sausage of, of trades in, in signing. So right. there have been some movement here. Some some teams with some money to spend have spent it, and they've spent it however they're going to do it. There have been a couple of minor trades that have happened. Yeah. You know, the, the big white whale is Aaron Judge. Where he goes, I think once once he kind of sets the market, um, I think he's in a market of his own, pardon me. Mm-hmm. Um, once he gets done, I think people are like, okay. Let's start really getting to business. Well, and on the pitching side, uh, that was Preller used the the word dominoes, kind of when the dominoes start to fall. So now Carlos Rodon is the next big free agent that's out there. He's going to sign somewhere, and then the next guy, and the next guy, and somewhere along the way, the Padres are going to go in there and they're going to find their fit. Um, uh, Kodai Senga is still he's still a question mark, and it sounds like there's at least a handful of teams that have put out an offer in the five- to six-year range that they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, he wants to be on a contender, 
And I'm sure there are plenty of other things. I saw something about being in a major market and all this. Wanting um, to win now is what, what yeah, I saw. Yeah, and like we said yesterday, the, the Padres, I think the Padres would be a good fit for that. Um, but there's probably a half dozen teams that would check the boxes that he's looking at. So who knows? And then there was another um, Japanese player, an outfielder, a corner outfielder. Right. That, that's going to post and has posted and now has 30 days to – to sign a contract with a major league team or he goes back. Right, right. So somebody asked Preller about that, and he said something about like high on base. He has good good plate discipline. I looked the guy up on baseball reference. He's five foot eight. And I I have a hard time seeing uh, you know, not to be sizist or no, anything but like that. There's but a there lot, aren't, it's a long season. There aren't a lot of, of players that are that stature. And Jose Altuve is kind of a unicorn when it comes to players that are undersized that still have power and you know, all the tools to be able to, to compete. Is baseball has become a bigger person's sport. Yeah, It used to be that you had the five foot seven guy playing shortstop. Now all your shortstops are 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, Although Hassan Kim you know, isn't, isn't exactly Jack the Beanstalk. Right, but, but he's like five, he's still 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, okay. And I looked up Ichiro Suzuki's 5'11". And I always thought of Ichiro being a smaller guy. Well, he's so damn thin that you're like, oh yeah, he's five four. Yeah. No, he's not. He's yeah, yeah he's a really tall guy. So you look at you look at the guy's stats on what he's done in the NPB, and he's slugging over five hundred and posting an OPS over a thousand. But what happens when you come to the major leagues? You've got the 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 higher velo, the bigger ballparks, all of that stuff. Longer season this mm. year. Everyone's playing everyone, so the travel is going to be. I think. It might be a little bit more difficult, right, uh, for the for this year. Yeah, that, so that'd be a question about somebody like Kodai Senga coming over. So in Japan, they stretch guys out; they pitch once a week. So I think it's six days off. So a six man rotation might suit somebody like that a little bit better. But the the grind of a long season and all the travel is Japan's like the size of California, north to south. There's not a whole lot of travel versus you going to the East Coast and back twice yeah. a week. It's it's not the same. It's no nothing near the same kind of grind and toll that your body takes. It is not the same. Although you know it, it's um, so that's kind of what's all happening. You know we were there was rumors that maybe Judge would show up here today. He was in Tampa Bay last night watching the game, so he would have to leave if not after that game, very early in the morning to make it out here. Um, I don't think he's making it out here for the winter meetings. He may make it out here. Otherwise, but to have a little private meeting with AJ Preller and Peter Seidler, and they back up a Brinks truck, and here you go, <laughs> beep, beep, and they say, beep. "Hey, if you sign here, we'll bring the right field wall in." <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be nice? It would be nice, and it would be fun to have a Judge Forty Four jersey for you fans. I'm not a jersey guy. Yeah. So let's move on to the. You know, we, the I, we thought the draft was really cool. That was real fun. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. The whole. I mean, it was. The ballroom was packed for it. Um, I think all the media people wanted to go in and just kind of see the spectacle of, okay, yeah. what is this? How is this going to happen? You know, I was hoping, like, like we've said before, like I was hoping to hear the, all right, A24, hey, look. Yeah, but apparently that happened in a, like in a private room earlier. We, I think we might have almost walked in on we that. We tried actually. to get into that room. Yeah, and but there was an official like, no, no, no this is, yeah. you know, only no. MLB officials are allowed in here. You can't come in, yeah. is what she said. Yeah. The draft? Like we thought we missed the draft. What we, what we couldn't get into and missed was the actual process. Right. But then they had the whole reveal live on TV, and yeah. that's where all the media people were all hanging out. That was yeah. kind of cool, seeing Harold Reynolds up there talking about it, and then uh, um, um, 
Dan O'Dowd and Greg Amzinger. And who was doing the the Raul Abanez? Raul Abanez, yes, he was the one revealing the picks. I, I have video of all that, so it's kind of a back you know, behind baseball look. A video I have, it's pretty cool. I'll, tell you, I'll post that a little bit later on. Well, you'll probably get this tomorrow, so or you'll probably get this on Wednesday. So the teams that, that made tonight. the playoffs were not part of this whole yep. draft. So the Padres right now they're slotted to pick twenty seventh because just based on the their their win loss record last year, um, yeah, and then of course things are things may change with qualifying uh, offers right. and all of this. Who knows? Uh, but right now it looks like the Padres are going to be picking twenty seventh. They so we didn't have any of the excitement of okay is our team going to move up or is, but like Minnesota they were supposed to pick like pre lottery they were going to pick like thirteenth and I think yeah. they moved up like fifth yeah yeah that's they, huge they moved up really high and then the A's fell I think they were supposed to like they were slotted at second and they wound up falling to like sixth or seventh so really what Major League Baseball is trying to do is stop teams from tanking it kind of worked. Yeah, it really kind of worked. Um, don't know how much you know the difference between the the, the first you know the one one to the you know five one you know the fifth pick in the in the first round. Like, I think the top ten guys are, are almost interchangeable, depending on what the evaluators in every organization. Well, but most years there's a clear like one two three. Right. There's a couple of guys that stand up above the the rest, and it's not just that. It's also the the, the pool money. That okay, maybe you can sign somebody under slot, and there's a big difference if your first pick is three million dollars versus if your per- first pick is seven million. Right. Then you, if saving a million dollars off of that is a lot easier to use on somebody like Hudson Head or James Wood or right. you know one of these, the way Preller moves the money around. Stops guys from going to the college. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole. That's the whole thing, and it's you. You, you got to woo them away from their college commitments. All right, well, let's wrap it up. You can find me. Yeah, we wrapped? Yeah, yeah. We're wrapped. You can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I'm at Zippy underscore TMS. Go we'll Padres. See you next time. We're here with JJ Cooper of Baseball America at the winter meetings. JJ, how's it going so far? I love it here. I wish the winter meetings was in San Diego every year. Um, and But more than that, this is the first time we've had a winter meetings, really, since 2019. There was technically, no one remembers this, there was a winter meetings last year, because, but it was only for the minor leagues, because the major leagues was shut down because of the lockout. Obviously, we didn't have winter meetings in 2020 because of the pandemic. And so we're talking about a situation where first, as I would say, real winter meetings since 2019, man, it's good to be back. So what were some of the things that you missed about the whole circus? So, okay, most importantly, we didn't have a Major League Rule 5 draft last year, and that's a, uh, that's a real problem to me because I love the Rule 5 draft. We had a minor league phase, but we didn't have a Major League phase. But, okay, for the masses out there who don't get into my Rule 5 fever that like I do, I would say, so the winter meetings... I mean, some of this is self-serving, I'll be the first to admit, in that if you're a fan and you say, well, the winter meetings didn't exist and now it does, what does it mean different for me? And the answer is probably not a whole lot because I do feel like last year, one thing about the lockout was we had these artificial deadlines. So if you wanted to make deals before the lockout, you had this compressed time period. We saw a lot of moves. 
And then once the lockout ended, we had this compressed tire period, and it was kind of more of a uh, of an NBA or NFL style free agency where all these moves are bang, 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 bang. Now we're back into kind of more slow burn. You know, the free agency has been going on for several weeks. We're still seeing big moves like, hey, Trey Turner is a big move. You know, we're seeing smaller moves. Kyle Gibson's a smaller move. We're seeing stuff like that. But at the same time, self-servingly, personally, this is the opportunity. I love wandering the lobby and seeing people who, in some cases, I may not have seen in 10 years. I mean, like, because... You can be, that's the thing I will say. Convention, never, it's a convention. You read yeah. guys you haven't seen for. If you've never been to the winter meetings, the thing I would say, describe it as is like, it's not like this is something where there's an event that's happening here. It's more of like this, there's this lobby and there are people all through it. And in the 20 years I've been at Baseball America, it has changed in that you do not, you will still see the GMs and the presidents, but they'll be passing through mm. on their way to the suites. It used to be that everyone at some point came down. Now it's it's not as much that way. But you still see, oh, this is basically where baseball just gathers together and gets to see each other, people in baseball, for maybe the only time of all year. Because if you think during the season, I don't care what the event is, there's always other events going on that other people are at at yeah. that time. Yeah. Okay, so two years ago, the big news in the offseason was Major League Baseball taking over ownership of Minor League Baseball. Mm-hmm. I might not be using the right no, word, but, but the, was the, the agreement expired, and then they just kind of let it expire, and MLB came in and said, okay, we'll take over. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, they contracted 40 teams. 42, yeah. 42, yes, but yes. And they've created the affiliate leagues and all this other stuff. How do you feel that it has affected? Do you feel like there's been an overall benefit to minor league players far and wide? Okay. So I'm going to be careful how I answer this because I cover this, so I don't want to give my own opinion on this too much because I cover it from the standpoint of trying to be objectively look at the – but I'll give you some of the positives and negatives that I've seen so far. Um, Okay. On the positive side, if you're a player, positive side is you are making more money now than you were and there was a race. Now, there's been a second positive on that, which is, is you're also getting paid for spring training now, but that was because there was a court case and the MLB lost the court case, and so now you're going to get paid for, you know, for spring training and things like that as well. So that's clearly a positive. Second positive, I would say, you could say, is, is that travel. Um, MLB made a clear point, even when they were negotiating with minor league baseball and then when they took it over, we, we feel like that travel under the current system is too much and we want to reduce it. I think clearly, I'm not saying there are not still some long road trips and all, but the switch to a six-game schedule, a weekly schedule, has clearly helped from that standpoint. Before, we were on three, four-game schedules, so you had more travel right there, like more trips. But on top of that, wasn't that many years ago that teams, your players had one day off a month, right? right? So you go from having one day off a month, which the grind is beyond the grind, especially, and you could lose that if you had too many rainouts and things like that, to now you have a, a fixed day off that's almost the same day. There's a couple of exceptions, 4th of July, right. things like that. But generally, you're going to have the same day off every week. So you know Monday rolls around. I don't have a game today. And that's the kind of – so that's a clear positive, I would say, if you are a player. 
people, and that day is dedicated. Now, travel happens on that off day rather than you play a game, travel and, through the night, right. get, you sleep in the back of the bus, and then you wake up and try and, to go play another game. And some leagues have rationalized the travel a little bit more to where some, I know to say some, because there is the South Atlantic League, which stretches stretches from... Uh, the northeast down to Rome, Georgia, and there are some trips in that. But most of the leagues, like if you look at the Carolina League, a lot of times you can actually it's a it's a quick enough trip that you will be back either that night or if you do come back the next day, you'll be back with most of your day still ahead of you, which is more than it's down. Okay, so those are positives. Obviously, the clear negative I would say that starts off with is there are less players because. You just do the math. It was roughly, I say 42 teams, but there was a couple of teams added from a mini ball that replaced teams. So really you're talking about, let's say, 40 times 30. So let's say 1,200 players roughly that are no longer in affiliated baseball. Now, some of that was attrition because it happened to happen right after a season where it did not exist. So... If you were to become a minor league free agent as a 27-year-old and you didn't sign with another team, maybe you had already decided to move on during that year that you were off. Not everyone, I don't want to say it was like there was 1,200 pink slips, but obviously there were less jobs. There is more competition now because there are strict roster limits in a way that did not exist before. Right. So now, during the season, you know, We've never heard of 60-day injured list in the minors before because why did you ever need it? Now you do because you're allowed 180 players on the active roster throughout the entirety of your domestic U.S. system. And so you will see now players who get caught in numbers games in some cases where it's like it's not that they're released because the team looks at them and says, look, this is just not working out. We don't think that you have a shot, so we're letting you go. In some cases now you're seeing guys let go because – it's not that you weren't having a decent year, but the draft just rolled around. We're signing guys, and for every guy we sign, we're already 180. So every guy we sign, we got to let someone else go. So there are negatives like that that clearly are, are also at play. So that's on the player side. On the owner side, you know, you talk to minor league operators because minor league teams, as a general rule, are not owned by their major league clubs. There are some, but not most. And there are positives, you know, that they see as far as some of them really like the six-game schedule, things like that. Um, Consultant revenue. Yeah. But at the same time, there are also negatives because MLB um, has a more expansive look at what it views as potential national revenue. Minor League Baseball ad revenue before – was pretty strictly well strictly defined. So there were there was uh, you know there was an airline that had you know the sponsorship. There was a winery. There were potato chips. There were national, but at the minor league side, you could opt in or out of those before. And it was something where if if for some reason you're if you are in a town, for instance, and Lay's potato chips are made in your town, you could just opt out of the Uncle Ray's potato chip sponsorship. And it's not a conflict or anything. Well, Major League Baseball has now much more strictly defined, like minor league teams are allowed to pick a category to exempt out and say, no, 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 this category is so important to us. This is our title sponsor. 
stadium sponsor, our biggest advertiser. We don't want to be involved in anything in that one thing. But that's anything else is fair game. So if you have if you have a beer, you know, uh, uh, you know, advertising sponsorship, but MLB sells a beer advertising, you may have or a or a cell phone company or take your pick of whatever. You may have that advertising cross-contamination that makes your job a little bit more difficult on the minor league side. Again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but that's an example of things. So there are positives and as usually are these things. Positives and negatives of all. Sure. That's, a, that's an angle that I hadn't thought of because a lot of these teams have very close relationships with their local businesses. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an intertwining with the community and a lot of that has to do with those sponsorships. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that angle with the national, the conflicts so of if they of sell, if they sell a, you know, again, a beer sponsorship, a soda sponsorship, take your pick, whatever, uh, a, a, a medical provider, whatever it is, cell phone provider, whatever, you can't now, if you're a minor league operator, you cannot promise if you have a cell phone provider that's a big sponsor of yours, you can't say, hey, don't worry, you'll never see another cell phone advertisement for any other company in this stadium. You're no longer the exclusive unless you pick that as that's the most important one for you to keep that exclusivity. Real quick on the the, the Mm -hmm. six-game... The, the, the travel mm-hmm. has there been an uptick in, in, in better development and with, with with hitters seeing the same pitchers more often with pitchers seeing hitters more often is there a little bit more of um, a development a little expediting in it we don't know like it's, it's so hard to measure and what you just said it's both right so we've seen this before I would say before you heard about it in smaller leagues right so like what you just talked about there Let's take also like the Northwest League right now. So there's the six-game schedule, and so you may be seeing a pitcher twice in the same series. But you also have there are there's the International League where you may you know you still have some local teams you play more often, but you may play a team once a year or twice a year, and then you have the Northwest League, and there's six teams in the league, so you're going to be playing the same teams an awful lot. So you're going to already, and again, some of that already did exist, right? So it's hard to say for sure. It's definitely a little different for development, but I don't know if it's advantage for the hitters, advantage for the pitchers, if it's advantage for certain types of hitters, certain types of pitchers. I, I just don't have a great way to answer it because it's clearly a factor, but it's hard to know, okay, does that just mean that you do develop better or does it mean that it's just, you know, it's just a, it's the same thing as, uh, you know, relievers having to deal with facing a team, you know, in the major leagues coming in three or four times in a series, that kind of thing. Yeah, I can see that. Um, how about on the facility side? Do you feel like the, the rate of improvement of the facility side in, in general has been better since MLB took over? I guess there's more incentive? It, I mean, it's a pretty strong incentive because you could lose your license if you aren't in – but we're not to that compliance state yet. So the compliance state is still – Technically, the 2023 season will be the first season that you have, you are supposed to be largely in compliance. It's a 30 point, there's a formula, there's a matrix. I did a story about this about a year ago now, baseballmarket.com. But like, there's a matrix. So if your square footage of your clubhouse is below 1,000 feet, but more than 950 feet is this many points off. And if it's below nine, it's this. And this is true for every little thing. If you don't have a central security area, like security 
camera area where someone can monitor the security cameras that are watching the players' uh, parking cars parking lot and the entrances to the clubhouses and all that. Those are points off. Things like that. There's a lot of these different things. And this year, you are 2023, you are supposed to be within 30 points or not be in compliance. Next year, 2024, is 20 points. The year after that is 10. At supposedly, at the point of where it's 10 points, if you are beyond 10 points, and I think there's going to be some flexibility to this, but you are then in violation of your professional development license. Mm -hmm. The argument being, we told you in 2021 when you signed this that you had to meet these things. And there are things that are automatic 10-point violations. So if you don't have a locker room for women in 2025, 10-point violation. If you, like there's things with lighting, there's there are a variety of different things where if you don't hit this one, you automatically are in violation. Now, in some places, it's not that hard. Again, it's still going to cost money, but it's not that hard to be in compliance, right? Kind of how your stadium is built kind of helps determine this in some ways. Because visitor clubhouses now need to be 1,000 square feet. About 1,000 square feet, right? The old, the old requirement used to be significantly smaller than that. As a general rule, teams didn't build out visitor clubhouses to be much larger than they needed to be. So if you have an existing facility, okay, you're going to probably have to expand that. If your clubhouses are freestanding on a plot of land, that may be something, again, I don't want to make it sound too simple, but that may be knocking out a wall, building out, putting a new wall. Right, but what if you're the San Jose Giants and you've had a ballpark since the 50s and it's all concrete and there's no... If you're, What about if your clubhouse is built underneath the stadium, right. which a lot of places it is? Well, then you're talking about, okay, so I'm going to have to dig, and then, by the way, I'm going to have to have supports to make sure that I'm not... But it costs money. It costs... And so the California League is the league... I've done some reporting on this. I don't want to make it sound like I have an exact number. But the California League is the league where it seems I would be I would be surprised if every team was in compliance in 2025. What does that mean? Great question. Because for all MLB saying, like the, the, the argument has been that MLB can take away your license and give it to someone else because they can be then move the team into a compliant facility. Who are they going to give it to? In the California League, we, we've seen this for many a year. For the longest time, there was Bakersfield, there was High Desert. No one wanted to be in Bakersfield. No one wanted to be in High Desert. They didn't really want to be in Lancaster either. Nothing about the facility other than it's a brutal place for pitchers, right? right. <laughs> but, so they knew this. And Bakersfield was the worst example because it was a field that could basically be described as an infield that was gravelly almost, you know, like and but on top of that, and it was built the wrong way, so the sun would set behind you know, over the batter's eye. Oh my god. So, <laughs> so yeah. So they know they needed to move. But the problem is is there was no place to move them. And eventually we had the contraction of moving them to the, to the Carolina League. But that same story is still true, which is there are not cities in California who are lining up to build new ballparks, compliant ballparks, 
to house a California League team. So if you don't have that, let's say four or five teams are in compliance, what are you going to do? I don't have the answer to that question, but it is something that is going to be absolutely something we will keep talking about for the next several years. Yeah, I doubt in Lancaster they're putting $10 million into no. that ballpark just on the odd chance. No, I, 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 I don't think so at all. Is this a 10-year development agreement, right? Is it, it is, this, this is a 10-year license, and if you are in compliance, you are guaranteed to be going for all 10 years. Interesting. Interesting. That, that, yeah, that's, that's pretty heavy. Moving on to the so so after the contraction, you have the draft leagues, which is high school, college, mainly college, mainly college. Then you have your 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 partner leagues, which are the it was indie ball. What used to be indie ball, and that's still under the MLB umbrella, though, is it not? It, I, it is to an extent. Now, I. It's no longer indie ball. I still, this is still shorthand. Is called indie ball. I mean, it's under on the. It, they are partners, right? So what I would say with that is, is that they work with Major League Baseball. They want to have rationalized player transfer, but MLB is not saying Lexington Legends. Here are your players. The Lexington Legends, much different than every affiliated team. They start the season by saying, who are we going to acquire? If you're in the Pioneer League, they're like, okay, so, hey, I've got a tip on this player that is unsigned and needs a job. Okay, we're going to go out and sign him. Or I want this local player who's a hero, you know, because of what he did in high school. You can put him on. They still have the flexibility to do those kind of things, which is not true in affiliated ball where a player is really passing through at the demands, at the whims, at the needs of the major league. You know, it's funny because when Fernando Tatis Jr., who never played double A, mm-hmm. well, played double, sorry, um, didn't play high A, but when he came back, like they were, like San Antonio was like, thank God he came back. It filled the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other organizations, like guys left, and the organizations were like, all right, now we have, that no one's coming to the game because our top prospect is no longer here. So, and the thing I would say is is that most of the time at a minor league, now again, a major leaguer coming to town is one of the most guaranteed draws in the world. At the same time, other than that, I have seen very few cases where the best prospect in the world will bring people out. Like Steven Strasburg did. Yeah. Bryce Harper did. I could probably, if I thought really hard, come up with another three or four names. But... As a general rule, and we've seen this kind of, we've seen this with the teams who went from affiliated to partner league. A quality operation can draw fans in affiliated ball or partner league ball in a good market. And, or in a summer wood bat league, because, I mean, again, the most successful team in the minor league baseball is not a minor league baseball team right now. It's the Savannah Bananas, which, (laughs) and if you said, how do they fill up the ballpark every night? Nothing nothing <laughs> against the players. I know they've had big leaguers play for them. They're not coming out there because, oh, there's a big leaguer on the field. They're coming out because it is absolutely positively the best show in town. And whatever town they're in that night, it's the best show in town. And so, again, you can, at the minor league level, as much as I love prospects, as much as you guys love prospects, the reality of it is is that most of the fans there that night don't know. They may not even know what team they're affiliated with, but they are there to have an entertaining night out 
you know, enjoy themselves at the ballpark. They hope the food's good. They hope the beer's cold. They hope that the, the promotions are good, and that's what they're there for. So the, the connection with the major league organization isn't necessarily as much of a draw? In most cases, no. Like, you, I mean, you see this over and over. Now, again, I say in most cases, right? Like, I covered long time ago. I covered the, I covered the Macon Braves in Macon, Georgia. I haven't been in Macon now for almost 20 years. But, um, but being a Braves affiliate was very different in Macon than when they were the Macon Pirates, right? So there are examples of that. If you're Somerset, which got the Yankees double-A, okay, yes, you are drawing more because you're the Yankees double-A affiliate than you were you're an independent Atlantic League team, right? Because you're in Yankees country. However, most of the time, like, the most of the time it doesn't matter. Like, and I was talking to a minor league operator a few years ago who made the point during this all this in 2020 and all, and he said, I've had people come up to me and said, this is, uh, you know, this team affiliate, right? It's like, we haven't been affiliated with them in 11 years. But, again, they're not coming out to the ballpark in most cases because of that. I, for our local ballpark in Lake Elsinore, I would say most of the people that come to those ballparks are, are Angels fans and Dodger fans because they're the closest major league team to that area, but yet they can watch the Padres minor league affiliate. Because like, it's, and again, it's, and it's a good time for the kids, have a fun time, well, it's, it's entertainment, it's value as well. And going back to the 2020, this is something that actually came back to, I would say, bite minor league operators a little bit, which is cliche that we've heard for years is many of the fans go home that night not even knowing who won the game. Because the reality of it is, in affiliated minor league baseball, that's not the big attraction. Like, the, the minor league playoff system in affiliated ball has been kind of devalued over the years. I mean, we've had years where it's like leagues don't have a champion because a hurricane, an ill-time hurricane comes in at the time of the playoffs and they just cancel the playoffs. Well, you would never do that. There would never be a World Series and they go, oh, bummer, we've lost four (laughs) dates. No World Series this year. Okay, we'll be back next year. But you do that at the minor league level because, again, the, the, it's about development more than it is. So that's, yeah. Well, I guess that's one thing you get different with the independent leagues is that they, care. they actually do care about winning. And we've heard that from, in interviews with some of the players that had a chance to play an independent league. Their time in independent league ball kind of taught them again what it means to try to win versus just I, trying to get better. I've had I've, – I've covered indie ball for us, I guess, for 20 years in some ways or not. And the number of players – who've had lengthy affiliate careers who say, I regained my love of baseball playing indie ball. It's a long list. And you say, why? Well, because, yes, you were had a common purpose before. On affiliate team, your common purpose is we're all here to get better, to get to a long-term goal. Not all going to make it there. And we have this competing tension in that if there are three of us in the outfield and all three of us get better, my chances of making it up from AAA may be less than if I'm the only outfielder who's having a good year and my teammates are having terrible years. You know what? That may clear the path for me. You get to indie ball, and it is a common purpose, which is we're trying to win a ring. Now, we also would love to get signed and get out of here, but while we're here, we're trying to have fun. We're trying to win a ring. 
We have what, the Disco Turkeys to try it. We have uh, the, um, what is it, in High Point, there's the High Point, um, God, Rockers. I can't wait to get to the Triangle just to, just to watch minor league, or to independent baseball. But I digress. Let's get on to the, so the big topic of this year, as you know, has been the unionization. Mm-hmm. How surprised were you? I mean, it was just lightning fast how it became an idea with advocates for minor news for the past couple of years. We helped on that campaign. To the next year, like, they're coming to the table. To this year, within the same year, it's like Major League Baseball has their money in their umbrella. Or the Players Player Association. I think it all goes back to 2020. Um, I'm surprised because I've been covering this for a long time, and I remember talking to some people who were involved in it. I remember Garrett Rochus wrote a prospect diary for us when he was still a minor leaguer, and he would talk to him, and, you know, like, he would, like, the, the, the seed of the idea was already there, but he said, like, it's going to be always very difficult to ever get to unionization of the minors. But 2020 rolls around, and I think a couple of things happened. One, you had this situation where some teams, you had this decision point, right? Which is, there is no minor league season. Are you going to pay the players or not? And the players saw the value of collective, public shame, if you want to call it that. Which is, you had teams, most notably the A's, who were like, nope, we're done paying the players. And by bringing enough publicity to it, the players were able to get that decision reversed, which had a pocketbook difference for them, which is, now wait a second here. Okay, there's always been a lot of fear of what happens if we try to unionize with every retaliation on that. But this was a clear example of players seeing that by bringing attention to this issue, they basically got a decision reversed and a public apology from ownership saying... We made the wrong decision. We're fixing it. Okay, so that starts it. Then you go into 21, and you have advocates for minor leaguers and others who are continuing to bring attention to areas that I wouldn't say had never been seen. I mean, we've been writing about players, you know, 12 players in a four-bedroom, you know, apartment for my entire time (laughs) at Baseball America. Like, you know, it's not been – we've been writing about – Per diem not going up for over a decade. Like, I think that we wrote that in 2008, 2009. Like, there's all these aspects that, but again, we understand we're not, we're one publication and we're a publication that really writes to people who probably know these things. But the power of social media, public attention to these things, where when players are getting a Friar Festival type sandwich, as their post-game meal, okay, they, it gets publicized, and that gets fixed. Yeah, how does that picture go viral in 1995? can So you have that. You have when players are having problems with housing, okay? And you had a point pretty soon where minor major league teams started doing making decisions because they didn't want to be the next one to be shown up for doing something. Well, all this now, so now you have this group out there who has credibility because before it was an abstract idea. What if we organize? 
Now you have this group that is an advocacy group, and they're making connections in all these different clubhouses. And before long, there's probably someone in your clubhouse, whatever team you're with, who's talking to them and getting regular meetings with them, you know, online meetings, and now is coming back and saying, hey, they're working on this, whatever, which means now you have a direct connection to that group, which brings credibility to it. It's not that they're out to get a buck. It's like, no, they really seem to be helping us. You turn this, you turn the page, and boom, here we are, 2022. Hey, we're going to do unionization, and you don't do that until you have your ducks in a row. Clearly, they did. They didn't even have to contest it. MLB looked at it and said, "Yep, you're going to have the numbers. We accept." And so, there we are. You know, and, and also that year during the World Series, a couple of players had the fair ball wristbands, mm-hmm. which exactly. I still have a bad <laughs> Yeah, <my>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they could, so Baseball America has been talking about this stuff for all these years, but there seemed to be a, a branching out of media outlets that were willing oh, yeah. to, to speak about it. Absolutely. Like ESPN never would have covered anything like that. And then all of a sudden there was an article that came out mm-hmm. that was talking about like Eric Sim opening up his mm-hmm. his 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 pay book, his, his books. Um, you've got Emily Walden doing some mm-hmm. great work. You've got Brick Yaroli. You've got people mm-hmm. in different media outlets that are all starting to share this common message of these guys aren't being paid fairly. They aren't being housed fairly. Their transportation's complicated. You know, just talking about well, the plight. And the other thing that is the foundation of all of this are there were aspects of this that were hard to explain, like, okay, to take the court case that ended up happening about spring training, right? If you said, why does, why did major league teams not pay players for spring training? I would say, again, and I've talked to people about it, but I'm, this is my opinion. The simple answer is, is because they never did. Not, there was ever a year where they said, you know what, we're not going to pay these players for spring training. The reason is, is that spring training does so many things in baseball. When you say the structure of the minors, no one ever sat down and wrote out the structure of the minors. It developed organically. Mm. Spring training over a hundred years developed organically. So it was kind of tradition more than anything else. Not really a good argument for it, but it was tradition. So then, though, when there ends up being a court case... You end up having MLB having to argue that this is actually spring training is voluntary. This is training to get them ready for the season. Extended spring is voluntary. Now, I I mean, (laughs) you you try to argue this point. It's like, okay, so please give me the example of the player who, being informed, I'm sorry you didn't make the you know high low A team out of spring training. We're going to keep you here and extended. And he says, oh, that is disappointing to hear. I'm headed home. I'll keep my training up. Just tell me when an opening comes open, and I'll be back within two days, ready to go. That, you know, we know that that's not. But the thing about it is, is, is that with a lot of these things, when you show the sandwich that was basically like a piece of cheese on bread, and it's like this is what you're, you know, when you show those things, the reality of all of these things is that it was hard. It, there, there is a predilection among fans. You're, you never are going to hear fans say, oh, the poor underpaid Major League Baseball player. Because, for one, Major League Baseball players play really well. 
But on top of that, even when they weren't, there is this component of it, which is, but they're getting to play the game that, in many cases, I wish I could. Right. right. So there's always that. That is something that's always been true. And it's not just baseball. It's football. It's whatever. Suck it up, buttercup. Right, but that, that notion of, oh, well, I would play this game for free. So Okay, but you still have to pay your bills. Right. But, but the thing about it is, is, is that, however, with all these stories as they came out, it's one thing to say, you know, okay, this five this player is making five hundred thousand. What are they complaining about? It's another when you say this player who signed for zero dollars in bonus mm-hmm. is saying I had to quit the game because I can't live on the money they're paying me and I can't make enough money in the off season to make it work because I don't have parents or someone else who can financially support me. That's a different that is a that is something where if a fan reads that they go, well, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. And so that's where, like, we went from, as public pressure, it seemed to lead to this. Yeah, it's funny, because I've talked to a couple of people, and, like, oh, you got a mining podcast. Oh, yeah, they don't get paid nothing. What? Yeah, these guys don't get paid nothing. Mm-hmm. This guy made $13,000 last year, and he worked 180 days out of the year, oh. and didn't get paid for 60 of them. And right. Really? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. It's but the story like, of the romance of minor leagues is so, it's been shattered. It really has been shattered. But, with but, but, I'll say, but I will say, the other thing about it is, though, is it's like, again, it is the other thing that is true in the minors, and I'm talking about perhaps we're going to wrap it up probably pretty soon, because, yeah. but, um, but the other thing about the minors is, is that you have on the same team, you'll have a first-round pick, and yes, they're making thirteen thousand dollars, but they're making thirteen thousand dollars after they received a four point five million dollar bonus. Okay, that player is not worrying about whether they can put decent food on the table to well, to train and you know eat. And then you'll have on the same team, you'll have a player who signed out of you know senior sign for a thousand dollars or signed out of the Dominican for let's say ten thousand dollars. And by the way, they're also sending the majority of their paycheck as much as they can home to their family. So you have, it's all true in all sports, professional sports, but you have such disparities between there are haves and there are have-nots. Well, and comparing what, what minor league baseball players were paid versus minor league hockey players, minor right. league basketball players. Now, but it, And again, all of this is complicated because when you look at it, Major league, minor league players make less. It's also weird because it is a different system than any of these other sports because when you say, okay, well, how do you compare it to basketball? Well, in basketball, the major development component of basketball, which there's, it's true in baseball too to some extent, college. is college. But football, basketball, hockey even, is college. And then they have a very small minor league system where... And this, again, this is where this all gets tricky, right? When we talk about indie ball and we talk about partner leagues and we talk about the draft league and things like that. Now, indie ball players make less than affiliated players in most cases. Not all, but most, right? And so very well the argument could be made, this is awful. These players are making even less than those guys are. But those salaries aren't being paid by major league teams. And there are absolutely partner league teams that are paying this like, yeah, I know we don't pay a ton, but look at our gate receipts, look at our advertising, 
Like, this is effectively a subsistence business. And that doesn't make it right that it's like this player is making very little money per month. But at the same time, if it's like, if it was, okay, we now decree that these players must make three times what they did, you would just have those teams shut down. Like, that's why... When I started at Baseball America, there was, indie, there was independent leagues in California. There have not been a successful indie league in California in a very long time. And when you say why, well, one is is housing, in most cases, it's very difficult to get for my own indie ball players in, in California. But on top of that, you know, it, the reality of it is, is workers' comp is higher out here. There are things where it's like, financially, they just, it's not been viable. And that's where this gets all tricky, is you want it, to, we want it to be and again, I'm not trying to defend major league owners on this. They're billion-dollar companies. But what I'm saying is, is there is this like tension in that there is viability, and then there is, in some cases, like no, you know, we're doing it because we can, and those other cases, like we're doing it because it's all we can. And again, it depends on when we're talking about affiliated versus indie versus all that. So, so I know you got a few more yeah. minutes here left. Um, so what are some of the issues that, that are being kind of negotiated? That we, housing we know, nutrition we know. Is there, is there talk of, of more pay? Is there talk of maybe an off-season stipend? Or those are, are, those are absolutely issues for discussion. Now, I don't have any insight into... Not shockingly, you know, they're not... Neither side is saying, so this is what we're willing to give. and this is what, but, but those are absolutely topics for discussion. Potentially also, you know, you also could see, again, I say could see because these are things that I've heard brought up. It doesn't mean that they'll be part of this. But, you know, right now, it's essentially a seven-year system before you reach free agency. And so, theoretically, and it's really seven that could be ten. It's like, theoretically, a 16-year-old can sign right now out of Latin America. And... Let's say that they're left unprotected in Rule 5 draft their first year, second year, and then they're added to the 40-man roster at the time that they were going to reach minor league free agency. And then you get three options after that. So you could have a 16-year-old who has never hit free agency, I mean, again, and never reached the majors theoretically. It's unlikely to happen, but could be. Or you're talking about they're 25, 26, and they've been in the same organization for 9, 10 years having never been a major leaguer. Now, it's a different story. Obviously, if you reach the major leagues, then your clock starts for major league free agency. But those are things that could be, you know, subject to negotiation as well, the length of time before you free agency. Um, it could be some things as simple as more codified nutrition, food, meals. Again, like you said, off-season. That's a, that's a thought that I've had, is they, they could provide some kind of a stipend for food because they expect you to eat and train like a professional mm-hmm. in the off season. Mm-hmm. And that's a very expensive, especially the training side of it. I mean, if they could at least give the guys enough to have a gym membership and to, Some teams to do. eat half and that's one thing. in the off season. And this is where there are disparities right now. Like there are teams that kind of look at it that way. And there are other teams where it's like, look, our facilities are open to you, which again, not everyone can do, but like, Hey, you know, but at the same time, there's also arguments of like our facilities are open. Okay. Where are you going to pay me for that? Mm-hmm which becomes another complicated issue of this, is like, mm-hmm. yes, our facilities are open, but no, we're not going to pay you for that off-season training. Now, and again, there's a long tradition of that. Like, major leaguers don't, they train all through the off-season, and they don't get paid for that training. Now, at the same time, again, there is obviously a difference between if you're making $15,000 or you're on a, 
you know, a million, two million, three million, four million dollar contract. And yes, it's obviously in your best interest to do this trading in the offseason so that you get another four million dollar contract. Well, okay, so then, so the contract is signed. How many years is that looking? Is it a, is it a five year? And we don't know. We don't know. Like, okay. So because it could be, t- it could be logically. I w- again, I am purely theorizing. Here. Right, right. It would seem to me to be illogical for this CBA to coincide with the major league CBA. Oh, because you wouldn't want everything to collapse all at once. There, there are limited number of people involved in these negotiations on both the PA side and my major league baseball side. And many of them are the same people who are involved in both these negotiations. You're going to want the minor league CBA, if it gets agreed to, to have some sort of term. So ideally, it ends up in the middle of a major league CBA so that right now is the perfect time to negotiate a minor league CBA from the standpoint of the major league CBA we just finished year one of. So right now... They're still working on the final language of the CBA that will be released and all that, but the negotiations, they're not negotiating the next CBA yet on the Major League side. This is a perfect time. Logically, one would think that they would figure out a timetable of this CBA so that the next Major League CBA expiration will happen before you then have a Minor League CBA expiration. And I would also say it's also logical, again, we're not going to go this long anyway probably, but... We're in 2020, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about CBA for 2023 season. It's not going to go past 2031, 2030, because logically there could be further changes the next time that there's a professional development license agreement that goes forward. So you're not, it's going to be, the best answer I can give is probably going to, then if they get to one, it's probably going to last longer than the current, before the current MLB CBA expires but also not as long as the current PDL license uh, term is. Last question, and I know you got to get out of here. So could they strike, like, in, 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 some, some unions, when the contract is up and they're negotiating, they continue to work. Right. And they, and they can strike, um, but they continue to work under the, the current agreement. Could the minor leaguers go, we're done, we're out, peace? I mean, obviously they can. It is a, you know, it is part of labor law that you're allowed to do that. However, at the major league side, and by the way, do remember, we haven't had a major league baseball player strike in a very long time because the owners now have realized they want to lock out before a strike because, again, on both sides of this, you want to do so at the most advantageous time for you. What is the most advantageous time for the players? Strike after you've gotten all your money before that. What is the most advantageous time for owners as a general rule? Strike after you've gotten all your money, right? Or lockout, I should say. Okay, but let's pull this to the minor league side. Minor league players, let's say, decided to strike, okay? So the hope of when you do a strike is that it puts pressure on the other side to come to the table with more. You have more leverage. Who's harmed in a minor league baseball player strike? Minor league baseball owners, because they're losing revenue, because they're going to lose dates. And at the same time, these minor league players are no longer going to get paid. And they have finite, short careers. And so if you said we're going to have a one-season-long strike, well, for some players, that means that they've already played their last game, right? For others, it means you're going to be behind 
afterwards, as we saw with the pandemic, all that, right? But on the same time, if I'm a major league owners, okay, um, I don't lose any revenue. Minor league baseball players in the short term, in the long term, they're a obviously benefit, but in the short term, they're a cost, right? Like, if you said, we're not going to have a minor league system this year, you don't have to pay the players, it's going to hurt your long term, but in the short term, you're not going, oh no, we didn't have to cut those checks this month. We've got to make sure that we get to cut those checks next month. So there's not a... If the minor league players were negotiating with minor league team owners... Then you would have a side where both sides would have reasons to be concerned. They're negotiating with MLB owners. They don't have that same concern, financial concern, because in most cases they don't own the minor league teams. Uh, interesting. My, my only question would be, well, it takes more than 40 guys on the 40-man roster to, to play a major league season. Sure, so but it would be. Okay, but I will tell you right now. We've seen this at the major league level. We saw this especially with the NFL and other sports as well. Like when the NFL said we're going to have replacement players and they saw NFL stars cross the line. If you go back to the last major lockout in 94, 95, they said, hey, we're going to field replacement teams. They had no problem getting players. It is impossible for me to imagine a minor league players union keeping solidarity of all the players if it was, we're still having a major league season, and by the way, we like you, we want to add you to the 40-man roster. Which, by the way, let me point out, the minute you're added to the 40-man roster, you're not a part of the minor league players union, you're part of the major league players union. Now, you would technically, I mean, this is where this would get very complicated in that case, because technically, I don't know how, like, okay, are you crossing a picket line then or not? But the point being, it would be very hard to say we're striking because we want better salaries at the minor league level. A lot of players whose dream has never been to be a minor league has been to be a major league. Says, By the way, there's this opportunity for me to make 100000 or more a month on a minor league, major league minimum salary, and I've made way less than that for the entire of my career, and I'll be a major leaguer. I, that, again, I, not that... That's why I don't think we'll ever would see that, right, is right, that right. if you're the minor league players union, that's not an attempt where you're looking at it and going, yeah, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> for us. We're, we're feeling really comfortable right. that we can keep the major league teams from getting these players because no one will cross the line. Which, again, and then there's a part of it, are they even crossing the line? Because, again, they have a, the major league players at that point will have a working CBA. That's a really tricky angle. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. JJ, I spend JJ. way too much time thinking about this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we need to have you on the podcast more often. Certainly, we would love to have you on the podcast once all this is done. Absolutely, and then we can really talk about it and, and sit down. We really appreciate the time uh, taking the time, and uh, I know we've been having it for most of the day today, if not the past few. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, this was fun. This was fun. I love talking about this kind of stuff, and I love thinking about this kind of stuff. So, thank you guys. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's still, uh, you know, same, same, a lot of conversation, you know, uh, 
It's finding out more from, from agents and, and different clubs what's out there trade-wise, free agency-wise. But, uh, you know, I think every day winter means you get, get a little bit more info, get a little better sense of, of what's available and what some of the possibilities are and some things that, uh, that are not going to be possible either. So we'll, we'll see what, where it leads us next couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think, uh, yeah, I think we, we've gone back and forth, you know, in the, la- in the last couple of weeks. I think it really just depends, like, what, what's out there, what's available, what's the, you know, the acquisition cost or the, or the price point. Um, but no, I mean, again, I think it's 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 a pretty similar story. I mean, we like our team. We like what we like what we have on the roster. If we can add to it with uh, with players that make sense, uh, you know, for for our, for our group, we're going to look to do it um, within our budget. You know, if not, I think we feel we feel comfortable with what we have and think we could be selective. And uh, that's that's really what the last couple of weeks have been about in the last few days here at the winter meetings. Do you target number of starters like the signers, the guy or guys that the yeah, no, I think it depends on, on who's out there and who's available. I mean, I think, you know, again, like, you know, I think uh, Nick Martinez, he'll get every opportunity here and, and see him as a starter. I think, um, you know, the group that we had at AAA, you know, I think that'll be a, a big focus for us is, is getting that group, you know, along with, with talking about, you know, a guy like Adrian Morihone getting those guys extended out and being real options for us and, you know, then we'll kind of look from 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 outside as well. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's a situation where it's like, hey, we need eight or we need nine. Um, I just think it's a situation where we want to be comfortable with what we have and and go from there with it. What did you learn from the way the rotation played out last season? Kind of like seven, six. Yeah, I, each year is different. I mean, I think in '21 we tried to you know we tried to have a lot of depth on the starting staff as well and. You know, again, like uh, you know, we had had a lot of different injuries and, and some some performance factors as well. But yeah, I think early in the year last year, I think it was it was a reason why we got off to a really good start. You know, honestly, I think we enabled us to, you know, I think uh, made the Manaya deal, you know, at the end of spring training enabled us to to be 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 cautious with certain you know with our starters. I think it was Clev and and Snell at the beginning part of the year. I think it enabled us to get our starters, you know, off off running and you know from a from a schedule standpoint, pitching, you know, getting an extra day of rest here or there. Um, you know, we had we had McKenzie come up and, and pitch really well. So I think all that contributed early in the season, and that's the value of starting pitching when you have guys every night that take the ball that can get you deep into a game and a chance to win. Um, you know, but that's that's not really anything new. I mean, I think we understand that. It's just hard to find those kind of guys and, and create you know that depth and that quality. Does the versatility on your roster you think allow you to make it work? You have three shortstops on it, and I think if you acquire another shortstop, it might be sort of a subsequent trade to yeah, no, I, I think uh, you know I've been talking about that in the, the last couple last couple of days. I think it definitely like you know when you have. You know, we like like versatile players, athletic guys that can play you know both sides of the ball and give you the chance to, to at least be creative and look at different options. And you know, I think we again like you know with with Kim Cronenworth, Tatis, Manny. Um, you know, we feel really good about our infielders and where we're at from that standpoint. Um, you know, if we can add somebody else to that mix that, that improves us, we'll we'll talk about it. But I think um, you know, in general, I think having having some players on the roster that can play multiple spots that are that are athletic and can move around the diamond, 
I think there's some different ways we can go to, to, to add to the position player crew. And I think, uh, you know, having the guys that can do that, I think, benefits us for sure. Yeah, I think each each uh, like you said, I think each each uh, each meetings is different. I don't, you know, I think there's been been some 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 big announcements here so far. I think, um, you know, a couple couple years ago, you know, you had like one after another. Basically, last year was different with the uh, with the lockout situation coming and kind of the the deadline type deal. Um, so no, I think each each is different. I think you know, I think like we mentioned yesterday, sometimes you get that one signing and that leads to, to kind of a domino effect where people are waiting on a signing. Um, so you know, again, I think from our standpoint, we don't get too too worked up on like the timing of it. Um, you know, again, like you come here to the winter meetings if you can make a move, great. But sometimes we've, we've done things, you know, a few weeks later, a few months later. I think Musgrove might have been, you know, later on in the off season. We've we've done some different things uh, from that standpoint. I, I you know I don't think there's anything different on that for for us this year. The reports were that you guys offered somewhere around three hundred forty million yeah, I mean, again, like we're, we we don't discuss anything from a dollar and cent standpoint with any any player, like you know that that, that we're talking to. So I think, you know, again, it was reported that uh, you know that we that we met with Trey and talked to him and kind of gauged his interest in being a Padre, and then that was accurate, you know. But uh, from that standpoint, you know, ultimately he chose a different team, and we're moving on in a different direction. You, you guys feel your financial budget is enough that you could afford a contract like that, though, no matter who goes to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think again, like you know, we sit down and at the you know at the, at the beginning of the off season and constant dialogue. You know, myself, Peter Seiler, Eric Rudner, you know, kind of where we're at, direction, uh, both in the short term and, and and over the course of the next five years. Um, you know, get come up with a budget that we feel like works for for us and and what we're trying to do. And you know, I think then we're we're always uh, at the end of the day. I think with with Peter, at least, hey, if there's something that makes sense, let's talk about it. But for the most part, we try to stick to what what uh, you know what we plan out you know, over, the couple, over the last couple of weeks and over the last couple of months. With Bell and Brady signing the first base tomorrow, it's kind of thinning out. Is maybe a trade possible to fortify that position? Yeah, we've 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 been open to uh, you know. I think we've been open to. You know, to the trade market and the free agent market. So, you know, I think ultimately we'll we'll continue having some conversations. We have some conversations going on right now. You know, from from you know, ability to add a bat and a first baseman on on the trade front. Um, but it's hard to line up on trade. So we're kind of going down both paths right now and and, and see where it leads us. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of conversations with you, um, you know, talking about the WBC, and you know, again, I just think there's a lot of trust in in Darvish. You know, obviously, this is uh, he's 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 done it before. He's pitched in the Classic before. Um, you know, he's a veteran player, and you know, he's a tremendous pitcher, and he's always prepared. You know, so I think that's. That's uh, you know we're, we're we're always very confident in, in what Darvish wants to do from a preparation standpoint. He knows kind of what the schedule looks like, um, and again, it's like 
you know, from a, from the WBC you know standpoint, it's uh, it's it's you know we think it's it's a fun tournament to watch. You know, it's, you see the best talent in the in the world and people that take a lot of pride in playing for their country. And you know, I think firsthand, you know, being in Japan at you know at past classics and what that staff has a chance to do, we were supportive of it and just put the the decision in, in Darvish's hands. Um, we'll see how it plays out in the next you know the next couple of months as he kind of gets ready to uh, to either participate or. You know, kind of see where he's at overall from that standpoint. So we, we did have a lot of conversation with him. Ultimately, you know, let him make the decision. And anything on uh, Japanese? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like he's, you know, I think he's he's a free agent. So you know, it's um, uh, we've talked about it. We've we've got a lot of history seeing seeing you know Kodai Senga, um, you know, pitch in, in MPB. I mean, he's, he's obviously he's, he's a very accomplished pitcher, you know, from a team standpoint. And I think you know, winning uh, winning a lot, winning you know multiple uh, championships there in Japan. Uh, he's filled all kinds of different roles. He's pitched in you know Olympics, uh, WBC. So you know he's a, he's a talent, and I think we've we've kind of talked to uh, you know we we always want to be a, you know I think we always want to be in a spot where if you have impact talent, especially coming from from Japan, we're going to be prepared. We're going to be ready to make a decision. We'll see where it leads for us uh, in, in regards to Senga. Who's on uh, Senga? You're saying? Uh, yeah. Again, like um, you know, just not not going to get into like you know details from a from a free agent standpoint or anything like that. Yeah. No. I think. Uh, you know, it's again. I think it's it's like throughout the industry. I think you feel it in terms of like you know players. You know, they they want to be in spots where you know they're in an organization that they feel like you know the organization the team has a chance to win. You know, you've got a chance to uh, to play in the postseason. I think uh, you know again having like ownership that, uh, that that is looking to win, that uh, creates excitement, that values the players. And we have so we have really good people, you know. I think, and and I think that 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 word starts to spread throughout throughout baseball, whether it's Bob Melvin, whether it's our coaching staff, whether it's a guy like T.J. Lasida on the you know on, on the uh, on the on the traveling side and just like handling like you know all kinds of things for our player group, uh, the way our, our front office approaches certain things. I think players appreciate that. Ultimately, like there's obviously big big parts of the economic side of it, um, but yeah, you definitely feel it. I think you know just kind of judging like four or five years ago, where you're trying to explain this is what we're trying to build and this is what we what we're, you know, what what we think it's going to look like to now, where, you know, I think players can can see it, but then and they talk amongst each other. You definitely get a lot more incoming calls than we did a few years ago, um, and you know, ultimately, hopefully that that plays out for us in, in the standings. So. Yeah, I think I mean I think Campy again like I think his his progression in the last couple of years it's it's been good because I mean he's had an ability to you know sometimes you got you know you got to rush young players you know especially uh, you know in today's game we're just a premium on, on young players being at the major league level but with catching it's it's hard to do that you know a lot of that is you know some things that they can do from a practice standpoint there's some things they just need to get into the the competition especially at the highest level and he's had a chance now you know kind of going through the system then spending the last two years you know majority of the time in AAA you know from a learning standpoint and then this year 
you know, getting more time at the big league level, being on the postseason roster. He's a talented, you know, he's a talented catcher. He's a, he's a, you know, he receives the baseball well. He blocks the ball well. I think some of the best games, at least like the Musgrove combinations at the end of the year, were thrown to Luis Campusano. Um, you know, I think in terms of like what we look at from a from a catching standpoint, he he checked out well in, in those ball games. Part of it's going to be experience of like learning the game, the speed of it, kind of going through those tough spots in the you know seventh, eighth, ninth inning. You know, getting you know going through. Uh, you know, going through, um, you know, like the lineups for the third or fourth time. But he's going to put the work in. Um, you know, we like him, and, and we, we see him as part of our mix for sure going into next year. Yeah, I mean, he, we had scheduled him basically. I mean, it wasn't like a, a – in his case, I think it wasn't like a, hey, it was going to be four weeks or three weeks. We knew it was going to be – his offseason was going to be Dominican then come back to San Diego where he's going to train in the offseason with a bunch of our guys um, and then head to Arizona. So I think uh, – um, I think from his standpoint, he he, he got sick, unfortunately, like uh, you know, from from some some food poisoning, and uh, you know he still had a chance to go down there and play for a few weeks. It was you know I think if it was cut short, it was only by about a week or so. It wasn't anything more than that. Uh, yeah, so I mean with 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 Tatis, so he had the shoulder surgery to repair the labrum tear, and then he had the wrist repair. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think in both cases he's, he's doing well right now. You know, I think, um, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what our medical staff is saying, the doctors on the checkups, he's in a good place. I think we'll know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. And I think the goal as we get into January is for him to start doing more baseball activity. I think we'll find out more, you know, in the next, in the next two weeks and, and we get into January. But he's, he's on track right now to be ready for spring training. Yeah, I, I I think he's able. He's pretty much able to to participate as normal, you know. So I think he can practice with the team. He can play in games. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the health component and like how we how we progress him from the health side. But I think from the uh, you know from coming back from the suspension, he's going to be able to participate with our with, you know with with the team and the group and playing games. And then once the season starts, you know, go back on suspension and we'll go from there. Yeah, it's a, again like another another you know left hand bat from Japan. We've got a lot of you know history there too as well. Um, you know he's he's obviously done a lot of winning here the last couple of years. It's a plate discipline you know hitter that uh, you know gives you really quality at bat and then has power as well. It's it's a corner player, so it's you know probably more left field. Um, but yeah, we're we're I think very aware. We've got uh, got a lot of information and evaluations on him. We'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, again, like he's. He's. Uh, he had his TJ. I want to say, you know, right around April of last year. Um, you know, he's he's into the throwing phase um, and just started that progression. But it's going to be more uh, when we get into the new year, where he really starts to ramp up. So I think for the most part, right now, it's like. You know, for him, it's just been about getting the strength back, getting himself in position that when we really start to ramp up the throwing going into next year, and the time frame for him is still more like midsummer of next year, and I think we're 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 pretty aware of that, and you know, aren't going to do anything to rush that, honestly. Time for one or two more guys. Besides that, we should yeah, we're 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 supportive of it, you know. So I think uh, again, I think 
you know, understanding like Hasung, you know, being able to play for Korea or Darvish for Japan. There's a lot of pride there. You know, I think the, you know, I think the, the fans, you know, baseball fans in those countries, they love to see, you know, they love to see, you know, their their team and and you know the best players from their country, even if they're guys that are playing in the big leagues right now, play and participate for their, you know, for for their country. So we'll we'll be very supportive of it if the guys want to play. Um, you let them go play, and you know, again, those guys are professionals. So if they're out of spring training for a period of time, we know they're going to get their work. And they're playing baseball and, and doing it for their countries. Yeah, I think we've talked about it a lot. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think we feel with, with, you know, right now in the rotation, you've got, you know, Darvish, Schnell, Musgrove, Nick Martinez. But yeah, we're going to look to go add, you know, a starter or two here in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, guys. sure what I can add that he didn't. <clears throat> you know what, I'm pretty easy until about January 1st. I let them kind of do their thing. They see me every day during the course of the season, and I'm probably the last guy they want to talk to early on in the season, uh, in the off season. So I, I, I give them through the holidays, and then they'll start hearing from me a little bit. I, I text certain guys. Had to give Musgrove a little grief uh, here recently to make sure he had some Dramamine in him and stuff like that. But um, for the most part, I kind of leave him alone. I, it doesn't surprise you that he, he did that. I know I couldn't do something like that, but... Um, looked like he had a lot of fun with it, and that's uh, just Joe being Joe. I, it's all right. I did a little cool there. I asked him, I go, are you going to warm up before this, hopefully? He says, I really don't need to. I said, any, he said, any pitch will probably break the record, but I think he did warm up a little bit before it. About the, the rotation last year, you had six or seven in the first half of the year, and I you what did you learn about kind of how to sustain games season now? Yeah, you know, I'm not so much skeptical in the fact that you realize you need, you know, probably eight for five over the course of the season. It's just the quality that we had and how are they going to fit in. But as you saw, you know, we get down to the end, it, there were three guys that we leaned on a lot. Um, and, you know, it, it never nothing looks like it, it does at the beginning. So give A.J. credit in the fact that, you know, he did to put together a deep group and, they kind of ruled the day early on. The relievers kind of, you know, came a little bit more prominent in the second half of the season, especially down the stretch. So you can never have too much starting pitching. Let me think about that one for a minute. Um, you know what? I, th- I like this year because it has. it's been a couple years since we've, we've done this. Um, but whenever base, the whole baseball world gets together in the same place, you know, there's obviously a lot bantered about. Uh, everybody's paying attention to their phones and and news, immediate news. And um, I'm usually a guy that stays away from that. But even I, you know, during the course of the winter meetings, are checking things on, you know, an hourly basis or so. And it's a lot of fun for everybody in the industry involved. You know what? I didn't see the reports that he did go there, so I'm I'm still hopefully ends up somewhere else. But you know, if he does end up going home, then he goes home. He just has something we have to deal with. 
No, I think we're we're able to have guys that so-called, you know, short several shortstops. If that was the case, um, you know, Jake can play anywhere. He could move over to first if we had to. You know, Fernando Tatis is probably as athletic and you know a guy that could play anywhere in the field, probably any sport. So I think you know if there's a team built to be able to move some guys around, it would probably be us. Now. There are probably some tough conversations along the way as far as that goes, but um, I think with the athletes we have, we were able to, to move some guys around and, and make it fit. Yeah, I think, you know, it's probably about his time to, to get more of a workload. So, you know, the times we used him late in the season, he, he did well. You know, he had one game in Arizona where he caught Joe and, I don't know if it was a shutout or one-run game. He hit a home run, and, you know, so, you know, you're always looking, you know, for, for homegrown guys that, you know, aren't aren't making a ton of money at a certain amount of time. We have a lot of guys that are, so you, you have to support that with, with guys like him, and it's always nice to have guys from within the system because, you know, it's I've often said it's like, you know, it's like a university for you. your freshman, your sophomore, junior, you finally get to varsity and there's a lot of pride in the organization when you come up in it. Yeah, I think there was quite a bit. And I didn't know him going in and because of the shortened spring, he didn't get much of a look either. You know, we had, at the time, we had Caratini as well, and it was tough to get him, you know, we could get him some DH at bats, but it was tough to get him behind the plate. So I, you know, I just followed him over the course of the season, had some contact with the AAA guys, and seemed like he matured as the season went along. And then when he was with us for that last stint, I think it was as much a part of the team as he's felt, and, and he was all in for us and did everything we asked. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, it, it, when you come in, especially this year with the late, uh, you know, with the late date for the trade deadline, you know, you come in and, and there's such an expectation level. I, I don't know that he put any pressure on himself as far as that goes, but you can't help a little bit knowing that, you know, this trade's made for you to come in and, and put the team over the top. You know, the numbers probably didn't look like they did on the back of his baseball card, but when we really needed him to be there at the end with big hits and in the postseason, he was. But I think settling in and getting a full season, getting spring training with his team now, he's uh, he understands the how we do things here. His, he's embraced by his teammates. You know, spring training is always important for a first-year player to get to know his team. He didn't have that. I think for all the firsts are out of the way for him, and he can kind of settle in and do his thing. Yeah, as right now he's he's a starter. 
I mean, you know, we, we lost some guys and, you know, he came in last year as a starter as well and opened up the season as a starter. So the great thing about him is he's about as versatile as pitchers I've been around at this point and he'll do anything to help the team. So um, I know he's happy about being back. I know he's excited about getting a, a chance to start again, but we'll see how the season goes and where the needs are. And as he showed you last year, he's open for anything he can do to help the team. Yeah, I think we could potentially plug it in later too. We have a really good core group here, and a team that's coming off a you know pretty good season and and tasted the postseason. You know, got to the National League Championship Series, and a lot of our core guys remain. So it's a hungry team, and as we sit here right now, I, I like our team going into if we were going to spring training tomorrow. But it, it allows you not to have to have urgency, you know, here at the winter meetings to try to do something to plug some of those holes because we really don't have that many. Yeah, look, Josh came in, did a nice job for us. You know, he fit in really well. You know, for a guy that was used to playing every day, he had to at times look at a reduced role, come off the bench. You know, a guy was used to playing first base every day. He's doing a lot of DH in it. was a difficult, you know, scenario for him, too. But he got along. He was all in for us. He's, he's really, if you got to know him, he's just a terrific gentleman. And and uh, it was never a problem, never complained about, you know, whether, whether he was in the lineup or not or whether he was DHing. He was there to, to try to push us as far as we could go, and he certainly helped us do that. Well, it's performance. Starts with performance. I think he was as consistent any shortstop in the league, you know, and, and a guy that, you know, with a team that offensively we were pretty deep, you know, not only did he contribute on the offensive end, but defensively he was fantastic for us and really was, was the key to our, our defensive prowess last year. So, um, you know, after a, a year of him kind of getting settled in the States, not getting to play a whole lot, you know, was, was, was thrust into the lineup and did a fantastic job for us. So, I mean... You know, for me, a, a gold glove caliber type guy for us and, and really solidified our defense. Mr. Not with you. You know what he's going to do. He's going to prepare like he does, he's going to compete. You know, he came in last year and was, I think, might have thrown two or three innings his first time out for us in, in a shortened spring. Um, you, you know, you're you, really with starting pitching, you don't worry too much about that because he's going to get his innings in. It's relievers that, you know, how much are they going to get uh, in, in the WBC and how consistent that's going to be. So I, one of the, I don't worry too much about him based on, you know, how hungry he is to compete every year and, and how prepared he is to do his job all the time. Uh, just, just be another feather in his cap, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that he wants to represent his country. Is he going to play from Japan competition, uh, or what Japan comes here? I, I don't know. I just found out about this too, so I don't, I don't know the details of it. I have a real impact. I mean, they got a taste of not only just getting to the playoffs, but. You know, winning two series and winning against two really good teams, and then you know, and then being so close to potentially getting to a World Series—I mean, you—that's you, tough to get out of. 
you know, you, you really want to push that to the next level the next year. And it was exciting for everybody. It was fun for everybody. Um, it ends really dramatically when you get that far, and it just gives you that much more incentive to take it to the next level. Well, now we have the WBC this year, so we'll have quite a few guys, as my guess, that won't be with us. So that's the whole different dynamic that you you have to, you know, get used to as you go along. See how many guys are there. You gives you a chance to look at some younger guys, but. You know, it's not going to be a normal spring again. We haven't had a normal spring in quite some time, and based on the fact that, you know, the WBC is involved this year, there are going to be some hurdles and some, some things you're going to have to deal with out of the norm. What about this offseason? Have you had a chance to kind of recharge your battery, step away, go somewhere, and kind of step away from everything? As much travel as we do during the season, I try not to travel a ton. At some point in time, I will. But, um, you know, it's just kind of rest, relax, stay at home for a little bit, get used to that. Uh, I do a little hiking, a little biking, and golf, and so forth. So, yes, it's easy to recharge.